Hello, welcome back to Meathead Hippie Podcast. I am your host, Emily Schramm, sipping some espresso. I am so happy you're here. I am a nutritional therapy practitioner, a personal trainer, and an entrepreneur uh, that really just loves creating shit, and I love helping people get strong from the inside out. So I like to make things that empower you to empower yourself. I have felt so good this week. I feel like I had um, a big refresh and kind of a few moments of realizing, you know, we put our head down and we work and we work and we work. And then we look up and we're like, how did we get here? (laughs) Oh my God. And then we have a moment of, I feel really good, but there's still so much to do. There's still so much to learn. So the last couple months has been a lot of learning and growing and transforming and researching and studying. And when we get in those modes, as much as I love them, it still sometimes has a quality of, I am not good enough. Hence why I need to learn X, Y, Z. And I was thinking of this simply because my last guest was a CrossFitter and um, I'm around some CrossFitters. I don't think that, I think that if they're doing the open, it's fantastic, but it triggered a lot of things in my own life of how many years ago it felt like I was, I mean, guys, I was like a five-year competitor. It was such a Kool-Aid drinking experience for me because there was no other answer. There was no other life outside of it. And I remember when someone asked, are you doing it just for fun? I'm like, there is no fun for me. And I just started thinking about all the things that we put on our plate and on our shoulders because we think we are not good enough as is, even though that's at a very, very, very deep subconscious level. But we constantly need to balance that with pushing ourselves and going for it and just doing the damn thing and getting ourselves outside the comfort zone. And so this podcast is really profound for me because it's just a little bit of everything I've th- I've thought of, of how I am constantly discontent when I am in comfortable. And that is something that's been a theme in my life. It's something that's become such a blessing in my life. It has become a theme in my life, but it's also on the flip side. If you're, if you relate to that, it also puts you in a position where you have to always consciously effort your own value in your own head and tell yourself the reasons you're doing things is not because you are not good enough as is. It is because you want to be growing. You want to be better. So it's this balance, this juggle, and I haven't quite figured it out, but I just want to say this podcast, I think is going to really hit home for people that one, are not happy, two, they're bored with their life, three, they're not sure their purpose, four, maybe we are always on the go and always reaching for that next thing it's really kind of bringing it all home in one place. So I think you're going to just love it. I was so lucky to have friends, two friends, uh, Steph Steph Jagger is my interview guest today. And two friends have gone through her program, Aubrey and KO. So it's just super cool. So I'm going to read it for you. Steph Jagger is a force of nature. She believes rather full-heartedly in the following mantra, know thyself, choose thyself, make shit happen. She is an author, speaker, coach, and world record smasher who lives on Bainbridge Island, otherwise known as Jurassic, which by the way, since it's Jurassic, aka my favorite movie in the world, Jurassic Park, I've already Googled it and I've already looked at an Airbnb, so I plan on going soon. Steph, I'll be there soon. (laughs) 
She holds a CAC, Certified Executive Coach degree from Royal Roads University. She believes purposeful living doesn't happen with one toe dangling in, but that we jump in, fully submerge, and sit in the juice. Think pickle, not cucumber. In 2010, she began a journey that found her walking that exact talk, or perhaps a better way of putting it would be skiing that exact talk. From July of that year to May of 2011, Steph chased winter around the globe. She wound up breaking the record for the most vertical feet skied in a year. Post-journey Steph penned a memoir, which was released by HarperCollins in 2017, named Unbound, A Story of Snow and Self-Discovery. She now runs multiple coaching programs, her most well-known being The Great Big Journey, and partners with brands like REI to create a bridge for women to move from adventures doing to adventures being, thinking, and feeling. And she has a second memoir releasing in 2020. I am so excited. You guys are going to love this. Let me know what you think. Before I hit stop, I have some dope new Meathead Hippie Podcast hoodies. If you leave a review, I am going to pick a winner every week to win some swag. So leave a review if you haven't already um, or get somebody to leave a review if you know that they listen to and that counts for me too. If you've already left a review, uh, let me know. Put a review in. What do you think? What do you love? What do you want more of? What makes you click with this podcast so that I can continue to do it? I can't wait to hear. Enjoy this amazing episode with Steph Jagger. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Steph Jagger. I have been uh, introduced to you by too many people for me to not get you on my podcast, and I'm so stoked to talk. Welcome to Meathead Hippie. Well, I'm so grateful to be here. Um, it's a perfect way to start a Monday morning. I love it. Um, I actually had a podcast. You remind me a lot of a podcast guest that I had, Hannah, who was a one of the first women to uh, cross South um, Antarctica. She basically did two expedi- expeditions across it, but very similar to you where you were just like, I'm going to do something different. F this. I'm out. <laughs> so, and I love it because I think we always, uh, we always doubt ourselves in those moments because it's too crazy or it's too out of the realm of possibility. And I, I just want to dig in about that moment. Maybe not all of the, you know, you have an incredible book Unbound that really puts us together. But for you, what was your moment of like, I have to change something. I need to do something. Well, I think two things. I think there was a, a singular moment that I had on a on a chairlift, gosh, almost ten years ago now, mm-hmm. that that kind of was was the quintessential aha. You know, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great to do this? Like this absurd idea popping forth, right? Mm-hmm. And and that certainly was a moment of, oh, I think I'm going to do this. Like I, I my, my idea was, oh my gosh, wouldn't it? It'd be great to ski around the world for a year and, you know, see other resorts and all of this kind of thing. And, and it was immediately shot down by my friends on the chairlift. Like you're not a good enough skier and you have a mortgage and all of this stuff. It's like, right. right. Um, but I think once I got off of the chairlift and, you know, saw the sign I'd seen, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times before the, the sign on every chairlift that says raise restraining device, I, I thought, oh my gosh, like what, what is, what are the things that are holding me back? Mm-hmm. And so that was that was moment number one. But I think I think the earlier moment, and I think the moment that people need to pay attention to, and 
especially women need, need to pay attention to more in their lives is, is the moment that I had of um, uh, boredom beginning to creep into my life. Mm. Um, I, I, I was, I wasn't unhappy. There wasn't a rock bottom. Things weren't awful in my life. I, I actually had a pretty good life. Um, but I believe in great and, and good isn't great. Um, so I, I was a little discontented again, not miserable, but I had a boredom discontent and, and, you know, this, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell's work. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with him, but the hero's journey and yeah and storytelling and and that is the first ingredient of any hero's journey and I think a lot of women kind of brush that off and especially to be honest a lot of women who have it good like well I should just settle well I have it pretty good well I shouldn't shake things up you know this type of thing so it was really the the just really subtle first signs of boredom and discontent that were the catalyst for this that I, that I paid attention to. And and going forward now, I I always pay attention to that. Um, Because if you reflect back on, you know, Dorothy Gale from the wizard of Oz, you know, she was in living in a black and white world. She was bored. If, If you look at Luke Skywalker, he was a, what was he a moisture farmer? on a beige planet like that sounds kind of boring <laughs> you know harry potter lived under the stairs of his aunt and uncle's house in the world of the muggles it's it's boredom mm, so this is, i think we need to really really pay attention to boredom in our lives and not put it on the back burner which is what we do and and wait for it to turn into other things like frustration and rage and accidents and disease i mean we just we put it so far back that it turns into drama and, and then we and then we have to move from there Right. And is it possible for us to move earlier? Is is my you know big question? Yeah, that's a good question. It's similar to is it possible to want change in your body composition until it gets to the point where you hate the pictures that you're seeing? Right, right, right. We we don't do well with prevention. We do well with extremity, right? So I think proactive versus reactive. Yeah. Yep. Do you think it's possible to have proactive, you know, at some point, because I think we're so head down and then all of a sudden we wake up and we're like, oh, this feeling of the darkness of this boredom is so real and I could have caught it before, but do people really catch it before it gets to that point? Well, I think we can. I think I'm, ex- I'm a, an example of somebody who did and does and continues to and, and encourages that in the work that I do with everybody that I work with. So, so that idea of um, when you when you when you have early signs of little boredom beginning to creep into your life, that's the perfect moment that I say to people, pay attention, because mm-hmm. that's when calling for what you're supposed to do next and who you are supposed to become next. That's, that's when it arrives. That's when it first shows its face. And if we can begin to pay attention from that standpoint, then we, beca- we can begin to become proactive. Do you think there is, so I see in my society, right, in your society, all of us, the culture that we are in, the amount of our attention is shorter the ability, I think it's the Instagram effect of yeah, right. <laughs> if it's, it was, you know, it's two minutes, I think drop down to 20 seconds, drop down to now two seconds. And if we uh-huh. don't have that two seconds uh, to capture somebody, or if it doesn't capture us and we're all guilty of this, we swipe away. So I think that's my biggest issue is wanting to help people understand are you bored and wanting to get away from something that we're just not wanting to face and deal with? Or are we bored and need to make some transitionals? Yeah. And or both. And or both. I mean, sure. This is, this is a, this is going to be an ongoing 
challenge for, for us as people who have a really, really high level of distraction in our life and who, for many of us, life has been made into just entertainment after entertainment after entertainment. Mm-hmm. And and if we're not being entertained and delighted, we, we think that there's something missing. And in fact, I think it's it's you know that that non-entertainment and non-delight and boredom that can really you know help us to move forward to the places that we're called. I think that's a really everyone I know listening is like, yay, okay, this is great. <laughs> Let's dig in. Um, and I think and so I think for people that are struggling with that purpose, do you think mm-hmm. it is because they've missed the signs of boredom or the itches from the universe that they it's placed there? That's a good question. Um, do I think that people who are lacking or feeling missing their purpose, have they missed signs of boredom? Um, maybe, you know, maybe they've missed signs of boredom. Um, maybe they can't hear purpose or calling. You know, I think purpose and calling is such a, it's such a massive thing. People are expecting some earth-shaking, real obvious sign when it comes, when they hear people talk about, oh my gosh, my calling is this or my purpose is this, and they don't feel theirs. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's a little bit of a disservice being done. Like I think calling and purpose can be things that are whispers and very small. And and I think that's more so than boredom. Um, certainly they can they can appear in boredom, but I I think we're not paying attention enough on a, on a fine detail level. I think we're expecting something quite large to show up in our life. And of course, calling and purpose becomes large, but only when we first dip our toes into uh, the, the small little whispers of it. Hmm. I think that's a great, uh, I think when I understand you break your program, one of your online programs, how I really mm-hmm. found you with KO and Aubrey, mm-hmm. the great big journey, uh, yeah. discover is that first four week yeah. section. Yeah. And I do feel that we have become a discovering culture, right? In the last year, everyone mm-hmm. with mindfulness, with manifestation, maybe not manifestation as much, but mindfulness and meditation and being present and listening to cues. I do yeah. feel like we as a society are trying to find that we're discovering and we're digging, but at the same time, it's like you said, even when, before we hit record, it, it can almost become a fault because we're doing all this discovering and we feel like, okay, I'm feeling all the things and I'm going through all these layers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then you sometimes can get stuck in this discovery phase. Yeah, I see. I see two. I usually see. I mean, this, this is obviously there's blends, right? But if I'm going to generalize, I probably see two different types of people come through uh, a, a lot of the programming that that we run, <clears throat> which is um, people who are really good at discovery, right? People who who are fantastic at spending time in what I would call their interior world. They know themselves well. They understand their emotions. They're connected, you know, from a mental standpoint, emotional standpoint, from a somatic standpoint. You know, they they really uh, kind of understand that how how all of those connect. Um, but maybe they have uh, you know reasons why they are scared of making a declaration based on the information that they've discovered, and or moving forward with with I don't know if you could swear or not, but but getting stuff done, getting shit done in their life, you know, and making things tangible. And those are, those are, our, those are our dreamers, you know, and, and our um, just amazing kind of visionary uh, pe- people that have a lot of information, but, but 
you know, have difficulty kind of making, getting to the next, you know, to the starting line really. And, and to the finish line sometimes. And then on the flip side, I see another subset of people who are fantastic at making declarations and saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. And then going and making it happen. But at the end of it kind of come to a point of going like, Hmm, why, why did I do that? Like, I'm not even sure why I did that. Like, I thought I was going to get X, Y, Z out of it. And here I am feeling like I need to go off and do another thing. Like, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? And, it, and a lot of the time it's because they haven't really spent the time discovering in that discovery phase of why is it that I've created this goal? You know, um, and, and I like to deconstruct goal setting. You know, so much of us move through the goal setting in, in the following formula. When I do something, I will then have something. And when and only when I have that thing, will I be something, right? You, you see this in your work. If I do a thousand squats, I'll have a Kardashian derriere. And when and only when I have a Kardashian derriere, can I finally call myself desirable and worthy of love? Mm-hmm. Okay. Th- this is, this is, uh, b- bullshit. <laughs> Just straight up. Um, I think what we need to do is re-engineer that, that goal setting method to start with the being, mm-hmm. you know, when I be something, when I am something, when I feel something, then I'm going to take dramatically different steps in my life. I'm going to do different things. And when I do those different things, the results I have at the end of the day are going to blow my mind. Mm, I love that backward approach. Yeah. Do you, so do you have, is it safe to say that you would say, imagine what you would like to be in this world? Is that a good approach for? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like all of the re, all of the reasons that you think are going to come, all of the things and the ways of being and the feelings of confidence or success or whatever that you think is going to come at the end of you doing and having these things start there, hmm. start there and, and work with your confidence, work with what does success actually feel like in your body? What does, uh, what, what does it feel like? What, what, how, you want to be desirable? Start thinking that you're desirable. Mm-hmm. And you're going to begin to do different things uh, because of that. You're going to hit the gym more. You're going to make eye contact more. You're going to smile with people. You're going to, you know, and, and those different things that you do, again, are going to create your, what you have at the end of the day. It's just going to be dramatic. You can't even, that's where it's like, it's an impossible goal. You know, you can't even imagine what your life will become. Because mm. it, it, it's unlimited. I'm, it's unbound. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bravo. Yeah. 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 Do you think... <laughs> How often does ego get played into this discovery process? Oh, that's a great question. How often does ego get played into discovery process? I see this all the time. All the time. I mean, this is, this is, we're human beings. We have ego. We have fear. Those are an intricate part of our human experience, right? Um, and, and so all the time. Um, and, and I think that's a lot of the work is trying to understand how do we, um, you know, not get rid of ego entirely. That's again, it's the human experience, but really understand it, understand what is our own ego? You know, why is it pointing us in that direction versus that direction? Or why is our fear moving us over here versus over there? And, and can we befriend those things? Can we listen to them and understand them and, and understand the nuances of them so that we can begin to make more informed decisions about, you know, what our life is really calling us to do and who it's calling us to become. So you went from being on a ski lift to seeing the sign and realizing yeah. I'm, I'm ready to change shit. It's yeah. time. Yeah. So what was your first step in this incredible, your great big adventure and journey? Like what was your even, where did you begin? Um, and I think that it's, you know, kind of that first step that might be the hardest. Do you think that was the case for you when you were starting to plan this trip and you were starting to plan the things that you wanted to accomplish and be? Yeah. Uh, where was yeah. the most resistance? 
Yeah. Well, I think the first step, and, and I think a lot of people don't talk about this, but I think the first step was me saying no, was me refusing it. No, that's, that's impossible. No, I can't do that. No, uh, I don't have the money. No, I don't have any avalanche skills. Who am I to think I'm to go into the mountain in that way? You know, it, so, so there's this process of no, of, of, of resistance and refusal. And I think, I think you don't hear a lot of people talk about that, but that, that's, that has to be worked through. Right. And so that's step number one was me kind of battling through like, right. Okay. So, so, okay. Ego. Okay. Fear. I see you, I see you here saying like, I don't have the money or I'm not a strong enough athlete to do this or whatever. So what are we going to do about that? You know? So that's always the first step is that negotiation, as you said, you know, where does ego show up? Where does, where does fear show up it is, is negotiating with those things. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of managing through that resistance until you get to a point where you're like, Oh, okay. Fear. We had a little, little trifecta meeting, fear and, and ego and myself. And, and here's what we discovered is that I, I can take courses on the avalanche stuff. I can save money. I can get an extra job. So we, we, we managed through all of those things. And then once you burst through that, you get to this place of like, Oh my gosh, I'm really doing this. <laughs> That's kind of like astounding. And there's an energy to that and an adrenaline to that. And I love this. I love talking with people who know the, the somatic experience of, of, of fear and stuff because adrenaline, I think, is such a huge component. People mistake adrenaline for fear. And in adrenaline, athletes know this adrenaline shows up chemically in your body to move you through an experience physically. It shows up to give you the energy to make it through the challenge, the deadlift, the, the jump off the cliff, whatever it is you're going to do. The resistance. And, and exactly. And we use it. And we use it as athletes. Mm. And that's been one of the most brilliant lessons for me as, as a person who now wants to bring that kind of same thing into you know, my interior world or the fears that show up that aren't necessarily physical, is that when, when I get that feeling of adrenaline in my body, I, I know that's like, that's not fear, that's adrenaline. That's showing up to help me move through this. Mm, I love that. And it's quite addictive. I mean, this is the most addictive feeling that I have personally to the, almost to a fault where I was not able to be present without it. Sure. I've always, I mean, the amount of times I've went skydiving and my motorcycle and like, there is something so addictive to it that it becomes, I mean, and this is the other spectrum for any of, of my, I think I, take it to obviously I'm an extreme person, but I totally take it to the extreme where it's now the only way that I want to get through things instead of feeling things. I want that kind right, of right. And it's, it's, it's superpower. Actually, it's really socially acceptable. Adrenaline and addiction to adrenaline is a really socially acceptable uh, way of disassociation. Yes, it really is. It's, yeah. it's yeah. like, Oh wow, that's cool. Like we can, it, and it goes back to ego, right? Like, Oh wow, that's yeah, cool. I mean, like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're using it, it's, it's, I'm not saying you personally, but it sounds like, and it, just generalization, mm-hmm. like one can use their adrenaline as a way, an addiction to adrenaline to, to manage uh, their nervous system mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and what is actually an underlying dysregulation of the nervous system. And so it, it can, you know, I love adrenaline and I love the use of it, but it, there is a line of, and just like there's a line of, as you said earlier, like this mindfulness and people moving into this, there's a line of, are, are you becoming mindful and really sitting in the discomfort of your interior world or are you spiritually bypassing? Are you using adrenaline to healthily move through uh, the fears and stresses that come up in your life 
or are you using it as a form of disassociation? I mean, there's lines with all of these, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your and your discovery process, I mean, was declaring if you had to put it into your own personal journey and this mm -hmm. expedition that you went on, declaring is that the I am going to take these classes, I'm not gonna let these no's go through, or was it a little bit further down your journey? Well, I think there was multiple kind of journeys going on at one time because there there was the initial idea, right? The ideation and there was that that no and then the like actually yes, I'm gonna do this. Mm. Um, and I think certainly the, the, the yes that I said, um, you know, the universe is, is an interesting place and a smart thing. And it, it, what it did was it dangled a carrot in front of my ego that I would say yes to, you know, do this trip, ski around the world, ski this many vertical feet as you go. And, and, and there, that will be inarguable proof that you have the biggest cojones in the room, which is really what your ego has wanted all your life. Right. <laughs> So, so even though I had to work through the, the, the resistance that showed up, my answer was eventually yes, because the ego knew me, the, the universe knew me well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and, then, and then what actually happened, and this goes back to Joseph Campbell, is that I said yes to something and, and became implicated in an adventure that was far bigger mm -hmm. than me and my little ego. Right. Mm. And, and so then what the declaration was, was, yes, I'm going to go on this trip. But what it turned into was, oh my gosh, I've said yes to going on this trip, which is actually a, a much larger journey of, of emotionality and spirituality and getting to know myself and discovering myself than I ever imagined possible. Right. And again, it goes back to the, the, the same framework of, of, of be, do, have. Um, so, so there was a, there was a declaration of yes, that was a, that was kind of ego-based. Uh, and then there was, oh my gosh, what did I actually say yes to? <laughs> Uh, which was a little bit more, you know, threw me back into the phase of discovery as I was going. So Where was your, what was your first mountain that you went on? Uh, the first place I went to was, uh, I, I flew into Santiago, Chile. Mm. And I drove up into uh, the mountains. If, if you went in the summertime for them, they, you would be going into the wine region, into Argentina, towards Mendoza. Yeah, Aconcagua. Yes, exactly, exactly. And there's a place called Portillo, uh, Portillo uh, in, in uh, Spanish down there. And, and that was the first place that I went to. And there was very little snow when I got there. Um, but there was a, a bar and that served me well. <laughs> I love it. I have been right there. I my sister lived in Mendoza for seven years, so uh, that's so. It's the most beautiful mountain. I mean, seeing it's incredible. It's yeah. very Telluride-esque. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So you're there. Did you go solo? I did. So I did the trip. Um, I did the trip on my own. I, I, you know, of course, I met people as I went, mm -hmm. and and I met people. You know, I, I would meet somebody in, in Argentina and then they would be doing the other, the flip side of the season. They'd be a ski instructor in Chamonix. And so I would meet them there. So I, I met people multiple times and then I had people come visit. And then, of course, a big part of the book and, and a big part of my life is, is how, you know, the trip is how I met my husband. Um, oh. And so I met him early on in the trip and he really, in many ways, you know, served as a bit of a, a Yoda for me, you know kind of the person that was saying, you realize this is what you've actually said yes to, mm -hmm. right? And that was very, that, and he served as in that role, my, you know, for the last 10 years, which has been almost 10 years, which has been great. Um, but yeah, that, that's, you know, that's another part of the story that's kind of, again, you don't know what's possible, right? You don't know what's going to happen, what you're going to have at the end of the day. 
I just love it because it's, it's exactly your story and who you are and what you embody and what you teach with your clients and in your groups. It's like, you don't ever know what you're about to say yes to. And that's the most powerful, beautiful thing. Yeah. It's just, it's so true. I mean, you never, I I think there's just, just such a misconception of what you said, that big idea, it's going to hit me. And I know as soon as I do it, it's going to open up all these doors. And we talked about this in my last podcast is like empowerment. It's said and spoken to like, it's a Phoenix rising out of the ashes, but you don't even know that process is happening until you almost in retrospect. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's right. We, we, we very, very, we think we like this locus of control, right? We think we know what we're saying yes to, but we very, very rarely know that, you know, this, this, this shows up in all of our lives. We, when we get married, we think we're saying yes to, to, you know, a life of romance and fantastic sex and, you know, all of it. And maybe that's, maybe that's true for some people, but, but, you know, there's other things we're saying yes to. Hmm. And same thing with motherhood. I'm not a mother myself, but I know many of my friends who have gone, you know, chosen that as their path. You know, what you think you're saying yes to and what you're actually saying yes to is, is having a teacher in your life you know, for, for likely for the rest of your life, that's going to teach you things and challenge you in ways that you never thought possible. You know, that, that same thing with, I'm just about to write a, a second book and I can see myself. I have a vision of myself standing at the entrance of this, of, of, this, of this very dark cave. And I don't know what's going to be in there, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. Cause I'm, you know, it's a second memoir. I know my life. I should know what's in there, but do we? You know, yeah. so there, there's, it's a, it, that's, and that's, that's what adventure is to me now. That's, that's exciting and enthralling. And that's, that's where I always, I mean, this is the, this is the concept of, are you living at the edge of yourself? If you, if you can say, I know exactly what I'm saying yes to, I know exactly what it's going to look like. And, and if that's true, then I would say you're, you're, you are not living at the edge of your life. Yes. And that's what, that led me to my next question for you. Um, it's saying, and I'm a little bit of like the listener on the other side. I know so many of us need to be pushed out of our comfort zone, but at what point is comfort? I mean, is there any, our comfort, does it come from our loved ones? Does it come from our home, our root chakra, whatever it be? And there really isn't comfort in our work environment or in our personal life in some way. Yeah, that's a great question. What what is what is comfort? What is the role of comfort in our lives? You know, we I think we have to do this this dance. Comfort. It's an interesting thing because I think comfort and discomfort. We we often talk about getting outside of our comfort zones, uh, which seems external, but it's actually an internal thing. Um, and, and there's a nuance for me between comfort and safety. Mm-hmm. I do think we need to develop things that allow us to feel to feel comfort to feel comforted. Um, to to incorporate safety into our lives and or to to lean back into safety at certain points. It's, it's a dance, you know. I mean, you know this as a as a person who deals with a lot of physicality, right? How do we build a muscle? We stress it and we rest it, mm-hmm. and we stress it and we rest it, right? And so so this is the same with our own lives. How do we build a, a more beautiful life and, and be really at the edge of ourselves is we, we, we stress ourselves. And, and I mean this in a really uh, positive way, not like, oh my gosh, we're in this chronic stress of, of, of our lives these days. You know, we take risks. We go to our, the edges of our comfort zone. 
we deepen our emotionality, even though it feels scary. We, you know, we, do, we say yes to all of these things. And then we rest, we retreat, we recover. And, and that's such an integral part of, of, of our experience. And I think we need to build that in. Now that your question of where does that come from? Does it come from family? Does it come from, this is going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people, family is not a comfort at all. For, for other people, absolutely. Uh, for some people, fa- uh, safety is um, a, spirit, a type of spirituality and a type of faith that they have. And they suddenly lean into that and they rest in that. For other people, it's, uh, I have a, a ritual that I do around candles and bath time. I mean, this is going to be different for each person. Um, but I do think that that, that just as our ability to to kind of stress our muscles, so to speak, and stretch our muscles uh, emotionally and spiritually and physically and all of these things, we need to have times where we incorporate rest and recovery. Hmm. I think that's that's perfect because it is rituals and it is so individual. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I had this um, light bulb moment, I don't know, maybe about a year ago, mm-hmm. and I realized that I no longer was seeking these really big adrenaline activities. So like I was always, what's the next thing and what can I jump off of and what can I fly off of? And I realized, I was like, why do I not go for that anymore? And I realized the, I started kind of looking at my life and as soon as, uh, business started to change for me. And so really after the third, after MPAC and after T, I was like, oh my God, I am taking such huge, risky, big, I'm in front of a dark cavern choices uh-huh. every uh-huh. single day. And I, I no longer have the ability to, you know, on those stressful days, I used to only go to my motorcycle and that was how right. I would calm down. But it was, it completely reversed. It was a very big epiphany that we think of it in just action and in sport and in athleticism, but it also is those risky decisions of showing up at the table and speaking your mind. And those big types of moments feel just the same, that same adrenaline. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the same. It works exactly the same, whether it's, whether it's physically, somatically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's mentally, whether it's spiritually, you know, uh, that th- they, that's, it's the same kind of, uh, you know, stress and then rest, stress and then rest. And the best mirror for this, the best example is, is the parasympathetic uh, nervous system. I mean, that's what we're designed. That's what it's designed to do. And, and it goes through the same experience, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, or, or spiritual. Um, and I love that. And I love that you've, you've had that epiphany because I've had, you know, really, really similar experience. I spent most of my you know, twenties trying to prove myself in a really physical way and trying to conquer, you know, I was conquering mountains. And, and now I just, I have just much more of a desire to, I don't feel the need to prove that anymore. And and I'm happy just being with them Mm -hmm. and, and have a lot of gratitude. And, and, and similarly, you know, my risk taking and my leaping off of, of quote unquote cliffs is, is done uh, emotionally and spiritually in a lot of ways. And, and sometimes, you know, with a business, sometimes financially as well. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's nonstop. I mean, I just, I really had that moment of like, Oh my God, I don't have any desire. Like I started saying no to things like my friends Mm -hmm. in front of me, like, Oh, try this on the, you know, we'd be on the mountain. I'm like, I'm good. Like I do this on the day. Uh in mm-hmm. my own life and in my mm-hmm. own way. And it sounded so silly because I was like, I mean, but it's emails, right? It's it's writing checks. But it, it was so important for me to start to see that because there is only so much room without the, the rest and recovery where you yeah. will fall off the cliff forever, yeah. right? So what does rest and recovery for you personally look like? 
Uh, these days, uh, rest and recovery looks a, in a couple different ways, but a lot of it is very, very much tied to Mother Nature. So I spend a lot of time in nature. We live in the woods in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so we go for an hour walk every morning um, and kind of down to the ocean, take a couple deep breaths. When I'm, in, when I'm deep in a creative practice, I'm, I'm, I'm meditating, doing guided meditations and doing a lot of journaling and writing. Um, but it's, it's uh, walks, it's spending time in nature. It's, it's spending time in the woods and the forest and kind of allowing that to kind of balance things off for me. Um, that's probably the biggest one. Uh, you know, how many hours might I spend in, in my garden kind of unconsciously processing things and, and resting and chilling and then, you know, light a fire, read a book. Um, you know, I, and th th I think the biggest thing is, is working to get back into the kind of rhythms of the circadian rhythms of life. Um, when I feel like I'm uh, not in those or I'm pushing too hard or I'm off balance, then, you know, how is it that I want to slow down? And uh, Mother Nature usually always has those answers for me. I love that. It's so true. And then every time I'm in Mother Nature, I'm like, why don't I live here and do this every single day? And then we get right back into our sympathetic go, 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 fight or flight, spy, you know, spot. Um, just out of curiosity, this is, and again, like these interviews are purely for my own benefit. So <laughs> I'm just asking for my own personal. Do you schedule white space? Like when you are in these creative processes, whether it's your groups that you're doing, uh, nature, I mean, how do you personally, to stay as creative and open and abundant as you have to be in this parasympathetic, non, you know, kind of calm and receiving place, how do you get to that place when you have all these things going on and the book that you're writing? What is, what is your kind of home base that you go to or thought process revolving around that? Yeah. So, so, um, I'm, I'm right at the beginning of a creative project. And so I'll, I'll be going back to some of those routines and rituals as well as probably creating new ones, depending on what the project is kind of calling me to do. But very typically if I'm in the midst of a big writing project, then, then what my life looks like is, is, uh, quite a bit slower you know, I, I, again, I, we always wake up and go for a walk, but wake up, make coffee, go for a walk. Um, I'll come into my office, I'll light candles, I'll, I'll do a guided meditation, I'll, I'll do a little bit of journaling, and then I'll, you know, sit down and, and start writing. And on those days, I do my best not to book anything, be it uh, my going to see my trainer, client calls, you know, anything, until about two or three in the afternoon because that'll give me a nice big stretch of time where creativity can kind of unfold and I can really see it happening. And, and that for me is really, really key to have that uninterrupted, nothing else scheduled time. Mm. Um, it's very difficult for me to kind of switch gears, so to speak, like, okay, do an hour of creativity. Okay. Do an hour of checking email, do that. So I do try and when I'm in the midst of a big writing project, if you looked at my calendar, you would see days blocked that say writing writing, writing. And that's a sign to me, like, don't book client calls on that day. Don't do your accounting on that day. And then there's certain days that I, that I, you know, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, for example, coming up for me and my calendar are my work days. So those are going to be days that are full of clients and, and full of paying the bills and full of running the business and, and my group team meetings and all the stuff that happens. So there's just a balance that, that kind of falls into place. Um, 
White space for me is, is, is the quote unquote totally free space outside of blocked creative time or writing time. There's actually just a lot of that in my life. And that's, that's been an intentional thing and choices that we've made, you know, where we live, we live, you know, on an island on the Pacific Northwest where, you know, I, I don't have a massive kind of community right here with me. So I'm not going to birthday parties or going to this. We don't have kids. Right. And that's, that creates, I've got a lot of time because of that. Um, and so that there's a lot of that built into my day days um, just because of the choices that we've made about where we live and what our family looks like. And do we have a well-behaved dog? (laughs) So so I don't, I don't have to, but my, my recommendation for people is absolutely to, to, you know, carve those things in. Mm. I, I absolutely love your mornings, like untouched sacred mornings. I think that I relate to that. (laughs) really lovely. We have about an hour. We walk, you know, about a mile down to the water. My husband, I, I, once it's summertime, I go in as well, but he, he does a plunge in the Puget Sound every morning, even in the snow. It's crazy. Um, and then we, and then we, you know, walk back and get our day going. And it's, it is a really, really stunning way to start the day. Mm. And I, you know, I kind of want to, the last piece of your process, right? Discover, declaring delivery. Can we speak about the delivery component a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Is this what you would consider manifestation? Is this what you would consider, you know, people saying like, kind of at the point where you're at, you're like, this whole overhaul has happened and my world has opened up and I'm obsessed with my life. Um, What is that? I I would like, yeah, I would, I'm just gonna let you talk and I'll just. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I, this is a great question. You know, when I was younger, I used to think of delivery as just like, I have a, I have an, I'm an, I'm an endurance athlete, <laughs> like I, you know, to ski around the world for a year or to do triathlons or marathons or different things, you know, I, I have a propensity towards uh, being able to push something uphill for a long period of time. And, you know, that that's that's and and that's what I did. I just used my my willpower and my sheer you know the sheer force of my energy and personality to to to, to deliver in the past and got very very good at that. Delivery these days looks different to me. Delivery when I when I'm doing it well and when I'm doing it you know with as little ego as possible and as out of my own way as possible is what I would call co-creation. Mm. My, my own personal beliefs, whether, whether you want to call it manifestation, whether you want, you know, whether you have a religious aspect to it or not, or a spiritual aspect, but what I envision for myself creatively. And, and when I speak creative, talk about creatively, I mean, both my business and my writing, um, because I think both are a creative venture is, is because you're creating things, um, is that it's a co-creation and, and that I am kind of constantly listening to what I would call energy around me or the quote unquote universe or my own intuitive voice, et cetera. You can, you can name it lots of different things and using that as a guidepost. And so that's what the white space is for. And that's what the morning walks are for. And that's what, you know, guided meditation is for is, is am I listening to what I am called to do? This is my bucket list, actually. I have, there's two things on my bucket list. Am I listening to what I am called to do? And number two on the bucket list is, do I have the courage to say yes when I hear it? Hmm. Now, the saying yes part is, is where the discipline and endurance comes in. 
Okay. I'm going to have to have my, my butt in that chair at my desk in front of my computer writing for months and months on end. Yeah. You know, there's, there's going to be, even though there's co-creation and there's information and there's flow and there's flow state and there's all of this beautiful and there's ease in the process. It is, it is hard work and you have to love, you have to love that part of it. You know, to, I think a lot of people have these romantic ideals of what's going to, you know, oh my gosh, I want to write a book. Okay, you're going to have to be in love with the, 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 the process of getting your butt in that chair for however many hours a day, however many months, however many years it takes. So that's, that's how I would describe it for me. And I think manifestation is certainly part of that, but, but to me, it's always a co-creation. Yeah, and it's not just the flow. It's exactly what you just said. It is the discipline and endurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is so good for me, by the way, because I'm like in the process of writing a book and I'm like, yay, I'll write when it flows. And I'm like, actually, that's not really getting me anywhere. (laughs) I think think the question is, you know, like, yes, write when it flows. Uh, The the question then becomes, how do you get it to flow? Exactly. That's my, the resistance is sitting in the butt in the chair really spoke to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, to to be, to be frank, like I, if I, if I don't feel flow, I won't sit my butt in the chair. Hmm. And so then that becomes, okay, how do I feel flow? Have I gone for my walk? Have I done my meditation? Have I, have I, you know, if, if I'm emotionally blocked and I'm just wanting to sit in the chair just for the fact of sitting in the chair, okay, maybe I should like book a massage or book a session with my coach or book a session with a therapist or whatever to get that stuff out of the way so that flow can come. So there's two different types of work. There's, there's the work that is getting yourself into flow and then there's the work of once you're in flow, get yourself to the chair. I, I personally don't like to go to the chair before I'm in flow because then what that means is that I'm just in the grind. Now, there's some people creatively who would say that's how they get into flow, which is great. Do it. For me, grinding that way, to, to searching for flow just by my own efforting isn't usually a way that I personally find flow. It's kind of like making yourself like sit in your bed to fall asleep, right? The whole analogy, if you're an insomniac, if after five minutes you're just laying there, the bed becomes punishment, right? You become trapped into the cycle of bed does not equal, you know, rest and recovery and all the things that we think of. Yeah. I love that. This is, this is, there's a huge, huge thing as well. I mean, I remember when I used to do a lot of running when I didn't want to go for a run, it was like, okay, try running for five or 10 minutes. And if you feel like you're in some sort, then keep going. And if not, you know, go home. Um, and, and so that's similarly, you know, with, with writing, but I, I, I won't, I know I, because if I go to the chair and start writing and I don't, I'm not in flow and I'm in a state of grind, um, it's going to be pretty awful. (laughs) And to me, you know, as a person who wants to accomplish a lot and who believes they can accomplish a lot, that's, that to me is a waste of time. Hmm. or a waste of energy, right? When, okay, if I spent 15 minutes doing a meditation before that, would that get me out of my own way? Or if I spent a week uh, processing emotion or going to see my therapist or, you know, what in the mountains or whatever it is, will that be a, a more fruitful use of my time and energy? I love that you're saying this. This is so perfect because it's uh, changing the language at which, you are defining rest and recovery, right? It's the yeah. 
really cool way for somebody like me who is addicted to this adrenaline and this push and this uh, sympathetic state. Mm-hmm. It, it's a really great way of saying, you know, well, if you look at it, take a step back and look at it this way, right? What is blocking your flow? And if that, if you became, if it comes, becomes more of a task or like a challenge in a way, mm-hmm. as messed up as it is, it's so much more approachable for me to want those moments and want that white space. Yeah, and we, we have this, 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 our whole society, this badge of struggle, right? This, this badge of honor that comes with like, oh, it was really hard work. And I, I like did this, I grinded it out and I, and I, and I struggled through it. And so therefore it's good. It's worthy. <laughs> right. So, so for me, what I want to be able to say at the end of the second book writing process or at the end of any creative process is, um, it took time it took, it took, it took some discipline to get my butt in the chair. Um, but, but it was, it had a lot of ease hmm. and, and that's is- very counterintuitive. People are, people are uncomfortable claiming that, right? <laughs> like actually, I mean, I don't want to say it was easy, easy and ease are different, yeah. but, um, but you know, it was, uh, there was ease to it, it came to me. Did you have it in your head for a while, kind of this idea of it? What was the first moment of like, I need to put this on paper? Maybe it was as soon as you took that first trip to Santiago. I mean, I can only... Oh, the, 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 first, the first book you mean? Unbound, yeah. Unbound. Yeah, so the, the, the idea of that book didn't come to me until, um, until much later, until much after that, like longer after I finished the trip. But I kept hearing over and over again, from various people, from various places. I mean, this is, this is the idea of co-creation, right? What are you called to do? I kept hearing the whispers of, you should write a book, you should write a book. And again, I go back to that idea of what was the first step in that was my saying no, right? I, I don't know how to write a book. I don't have an MFA. I'm not a qualified writer. I don't even know how to use a comma for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, this is ridiculous. This is absurd. And I think that's also something to, to note is that what you're called to do is is quite often the absurd right not not asinine <laughs> but but a little outside of what would be you know normal like well, that, that's silly that's ridiculous so that that came to me you know in the months kind of after the trip was complete and then i went back and thought yeah you know i think i think this is a book and sat down and did that the second book that i'm writing um is 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 a little bit different I just think I've had this knowing and calling kind of inside of me. This is another memoir. It's about my mother and I. Um, and I think I've had this in me for, for, for a while and kind of thinking, oh, what's, what is that going to look like? This is a little bit of a different, different story than the first. Um, but there's a similar kind of thing of, of, of co-creation and calling for me now, because I've been through this cycle multiple times, both on the ski trip with the book, with the business, I don't, I have less of the process of the no and the resistance because now I, because now I know, Oh, Oh, I'm being called to this. Oh, okay. Why don't I just say yes and make it easier on myself? Hmm. Damn Steph, this is timely. <laughs> Thanks, Obs and Ko, for doing this to happen because this is so good. I mean, all of us need to know this, right? And I think it's just for my listeners. I know that so many times it feels like this process. You and stuff. You could address this too, but how this process really—it never ends. This process is how much are you willing to always live on that edge, like you said, and you don't just 
jump once and then that jump is over. And I had this moment, I do these um, uh-huh. Facebook lives. I was at a American Ninja Warrior gym recently and I, I'm obsessed with that show and yeah, yeah. Will, would love to compete in it. And so I'm in the middle of this like seven to eight foot jump of swinging oh, rings wow. and I remember thinking like, there's no way I'm going to get this. And then immediately I had this voice that was like, send it. I just screamed it. And then I jumped and I got it. And I was like, that was exactly, that was the analogy of my life. There is always doubt. I just don't think about it enough. I say, send it. And then I realized I'm not sending it in my life anymore. I, I am at the place where I am so comfortable. So what am I doing? What you just said earlier, like, do you know what's on the other side? And my answer was yes. yes. Yeah. Yes, I know. And that's so not the place that we should ever live. So there never is that complete journey or that end journey of final destination of peace and happiness and fulfillment, you know? Yeah, it's so funny actually. One of the so so the one of the programs that I run is called the Great Big Journey. And and I remember somebody who was going through it in the little Facebook community was like, Oh, this is you know, this is so tough and I thought I would, you know, be at this destination. I'm not one of the one of the people in the in the group kind of wrote back and said I think she called it the great big journey and not the great big destination for a reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was perfect because that's exactly it. You know, you don't do this, you know, in the hero's journey, you know, we often just see one movie where it's like, okay, this, there's, there's star Wars or that. I mean, of course that was, that was more than one movie, but um, you know, this one journey and, and, and that's not it. We go through multiple, multiple heroes journeys in, in our, in our, in the span of our lifetime. And we don't just, okay, we're going to spend these three months living on the edge of ourselves and then that's it. That's life. Mm. We just, then, then we just live the rest of the 30 or 40 years kind of just chilling. Like that's, that's, not, that's not living at the edge of yourself. That's living at one edge of yourself for, for a short period of time. And I think that's always got to be the question is, you know, not, not to kind of go into this incessant what's next, what's next, what's next, you know, which is more about proving oneself, but, but to really be, you know, it goes back to that bucket list. What am I called to do? And do I have the courage to say, you know, to say yes to it? Mm. Yeah, Steph, this is so fun. I just want to hug you after this. Thank I you. Know, me too. <laughs> I know. If you ever come to Denver, let me know. This is yeah. so great. I um, love, love Denver. Uh, and you, I know just really to recap before I ask you, I'll give you some time to stall and think about your spirit animal in case you don't mm-hmm. know it. Um, so you have one-on-one options, but you also have this really great online 12 week program, the great big journey. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you should have, I don't know if you have thought about it, but after this book, if you ever have thought about podcasting, I think you'd be an incredible podcaster. It's so funny. So many people uh, have, have said that perhaps that's the universe whispering, maybe, maybe somewhere <laughs> down the road. Um, I, I, I do love, I do. One of my favorite things in life is to be in conversation with people, with myself. I mean, that's, that's what I'm here to do, right. Is to, is to be in conversation, but, um, but, but for now it'll be, it'll be uh, book writing for, for a little while more, I think. Yeah. I love it. Well, I, I know that um, they're going to love you. They can easily find you uh, on your Instagram, which is Steph Jagger. Mm-hmm. And I think I just, you know, just even reading a few of your posts and captions and the depth that you bring, God, it's just so cool and it's so needed. So keep doing the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you too. And so, so, so spirit animal. Is that, yes. Is that- so final question. I started doing this um, pretty much when I started the podcast because I am obsessed with spirit animals. And uh, I think they're just such like a fun little, uh, you know, if you know yours or if you don't know yours, sure, it's sure. such a good little epiphany of like, wow, I am 
pretty damn cool. I don't feel so crazy. So I love making people think of theirs. Do you know yours? Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know mine specifically, but, but, but there's, there's two things. So, so first of all, there was a bat that flew into our house the other day. That was <gasps> and then bats are like a shamanic rebirth and going into the depths and the darkness. But anyway, that's <laughs> such a good sign to have. But, but, but actually more so lately, um, you know, where we live, there's, there are coyote and you don't see them very often, but every once in a while you see them. The coyote here are, are, are big. They're big and they're beautiful. I mean, they look like a, like a, a wolf and a fox together and they're just healthy and they're just gorgeous, gorgeous creatures. And every once in a while I'll see one and I, and I think, gosh, that, that I think that is really representative of, of my life and the question that I'm living in right now. And the coyote and coyote energy is, is trickster. Hmm. It is a, uh, what you think you see is not what you see. And so, so it's almost like the universe kind of saying, I double dog dare you to, to interrogate your reality, to question whether that's actually the truth that you're living in, you know, to kind of, are you playing a trick on your own self here? Is, is your ego playing a trick on you or your fears playing a trick on you? And so that's, that's for sure being one that, uh, that, that I've, uh, you know, I, I saw a coyote just the other day in my front front driveway and I opened this, this sliding glass door and clapped as if to scare it away. And it just looked at me like, really? Like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like it was just no fear. It was just really beautiful animal. So that, that would be the one that I'm, I think I'm sitting in right now is, you know, what, what in your life has you fooled? And, and can we dig into that and see if there's uh, the layer underneath that to get to what truth really is? Oh, well, I just read a few lines of Coyote, and I think it's perfect. I'm going to read it for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're always looking for the hidden lessons in difficult situations. <laughs> you're a practical joker, intent to turn just about everything into fun. Yeah. You are a survivor, capable, capable of living through almost any experience. Mm. And uh, I think this one, you're a natural teacher, teaching wow. mainly by example. As you age, you gain greater and greater wisdom. Mm. Okay, well, Coyote. Okay, coyote. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. This has been really good. I mean, hopefully my listeners got as much out of it as I did because this was so good for me to just constantly, the universe has spoken in so many ways today, just for me personally. So thank you again for your time and all your goodness. Oh, and good for me as well. It was really lovely to talk with you. And so, so, uh, life affirming on a Monday morning. So I really appreciate your time. Yay. You're so right. It's such a good way. Conversation is really why I started this podcast. Like I had stopped training people in person. And so it was this big, huge void in my life of like, oh my God, I am not just a creator. I'm a, I'm a connector. I just want to have good coffee and soulful talks with people. And so it was the kind of the need for that, that it was created. And so you just filled me up for my week. Thank you. Uh, well, the root of the word conversation is with intimacy, with, with familiarity, with, you know, with love. And so I, I you know, that's it's such a beautiful way to spend time. Yay. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Steph. Have an amazing week. Me too.